Welcome back to Native Exiles, Alderwood Community Church's podcast, where we talk about following Jesus in the tension of being in the world, but not of it. And we have another special episode for you, some more time with Dr. Gary Bashirs from Western Seminary. If you didn't catch the last Native Exiles episode, I really encourage you to jump back to that and hear Gary talk about the creation story and some great Q&A with him. Uh, this took place right after that last conversation, and Gary and I were able to talk about how we handle disagreements in the church. You know, it came up because there are so many disagreements about creation, age of the earth, all kinds of stuff. And so I was asking Gary to help us work through how we handle it when we when we just don't see things the same way inside of the church. I think it's a super helpful model. You're going to learn a lot. And then stay tuned at the end as Steve and I are going to reflect a little bit about what we learned. Here we go. Welcome back. We got half an hour left. And Gary, what I want to talk about is, we've talked about a lot of controversial things today where there's a lot of different opinions, and for the person out there who's just like, Brashears, you're nuts. Uh, (laughs) Amen. Young Earth, seven-day creationism, or whatever their view is, like, you're so wrong. Um, How do we handle that within the church when we really disagree? I mean, if somebody thinks you're totally wrong on this... Should they go post on social media that you're a heretic? Should they leave our church because I had you on the stage? Um, you know, how do you stand up for truth as you see it and manage having somebody that you disagree with within the church? Number one, if I can leave you with one lesson, that question, where's that in the Bible? And you turn and look at what it actually says. That ends a lot of debates because it's really not what the Bible says. Well, and most people don't have any idea what's in the Bible to begin with. So. Bingo. So read through the Bible with your Bible reading program and get started. We, I really believe that God has told us a whole lot of really important stuff in the Bible, and we Bible people, unfortunately, don't know our Bible very well. Thus, the reading plan and meditation plan. But that question is always on the table. Where is that in the Bible? And let's open the Bible and read it and talk about it. Now, there's lots of stuff that's not in the Bible, but then you can't say as the Bible says. And if it's your opinion versus my opinion, let's just enjoy each other and go have coffee afterwards. I, so that's, that is a big thing, is insist on talking and doing these kinds of things with your Bible open. And once you get past the Bible then we're just sharing opinions. And listen to each other, enjoy each other, and then go have coffee afterwards and talk about Jesus. So that's important. Something that came up and we talked about here uh, is I just called it lessons of essentiality. And uh, a number of years ago, I was sick when I was in seminary, and I was realizing not all questions are equally important. And I started coming up, and Steve Walker gave me the four Ds. He's a pastor in Roseburg, now over in Boise. And the four Ds are die for, divide for, debate for, and decide for. Four levels are important. The die for are things that are taught clearly in Scripture, foundation of faith held by the church in many different tribes, So these would be things like that Jesus is God come in the flesh. That's not ambiguous in Scripture. And that if it comes right down to it and somebody put a gun to my head and said, deny it or die, I'd say, pull the trigger. Now, it's not likely to happen, but if it's that important, 
God is triune, essentially relational, foundational truth. If you deny that, you're denying something that's essential. Those are not up for negotiation. Is it, I mean, the way to think about that, these are the issues where if you were to deny them, you are denying the faith. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, you're putting, if you knowingly deny them, you're putting yourself in danger of going to hell because you're denying foundational truths. Uh, and there are, there, are, there are some of those, but, you know, those are foundational truths, and that's not, sometimes those, like, if you talk about difference between us and Mormons, and Mormons may want to be called Christians many cases, and I will not allow them to use that phrase to the extent I can, because the Apostles' Creed, Genesis 1-1, in the, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Our Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Mormons don't believe that. The God they worship did not create heaven and earth. He is the God of this earth now. He did not create it. When they talk about Jesus, when he was here on earth from Mormons, they believe that Jesus was essentially the same as we are. He became God after his time on this earth, and he has a, God of, he has a world of his own. He is still not Lord of heaven and earth. And they're denying vital things about God and Jesus, and I will say, you are not Jesus. You're not followers of Jesus. Now, individual Mormons, they can believe anything. They're like Baptists. You know, who knows what they believe? <laughs> But as a church, the teaching of the church, it is not Christian. Uh, and I'll stand strongly for that. So divide for are issues so central to life and worship they can't be in the same church. I want to affirm that we're evangelicals. We respect each other. We work together in a lot of areas, but we can't be in the same church. So the most common divide for in church history is the meaning of the sacraments, baptism and communion. And it's still a divide for today between uh, Pado-Baptists and Credo-Baptists. Uh, but the more common differentiation is style of worship. You can be liturgical, Anglican, for example, be a thoroughly evangelical, and you, read the, you do the Book of Common Prayer every week. I'm a free church guy. I want the freedom to vary liturgy significantly from week to week. And you've got to do one or the other. And that's a divide for, you know, St. Matthew's Anglican is not far from my house. I, I know the pastor there, uh, Father David. He's a great man of God, but I'm not going to be part of his church. I love one Sunday of it. The next Sunday I say, didn't we do this last week? <laughs> and he comes to my church and he says, gosh, you guys don't believe any of the historic beauty of the church. And we like each other. We work together well, but we won't be a part of the church. I mean, some churches actually have drums on the stage. Can you believe that? Good night. <laughs> Hard to believe. So, as I think about divide for issues in my mind, it's, it's some of the issues where compromise is just not possible. I mean, you know, you talked about Pado baptists and Credo baptists So, if you believe that to be faithful to the scriptures, you need to be baptizing infants, and you're at a church where they won't do that, then it just becomes an issue where you have to find yeah. somewhere else to worship because yeah. you can't compromise. I, mean, you could, I guess you get baptized your 10-year-old or something, but yeah. there's no, yeah. And but respect the belief of that people. They're thoroughly evangelical if there's, you know, authority of Scripture, deed of Jesus, those kinds of things. And don't insult each other. Don't walk around, ah, those guys, they're not very good Christians because stop it. They're great Christians and we disagree on this point. Can you give some other examples of divide for in your mind? 
Uh, well, the other divide fours, one that's a realistic divide for at a leadership level is you have either women on your elder board or you don't. And that's a divide for. Not people in the church, in our church, we've got the full range from full-on egalitarian to full-on women should never teach men. Uh, but we have a position, we, I call it the male elder position. Elders are male, other roles are male or female. The question is elder, not elder. And we've made that decision. So we do not have women on our elder board. We do have women in leadership and leading teams that include men. For other churches, they're going to say, no, you can't do that. You either have women leading men or you don't. You're the women elders or you don't. And you may have different within the church, but you, you've got to decide which way you're going to go on some of these kinds of questions. Yeah, and that brings an interesting nuance because you know, you're listening to this as a divide for issue, and I agree in a sense. But it doesn't necessarily mean that if you disagree on it, you can't go to church together. That's correct. I mean, Alder is That's in the same correct. position as your church, that yeah. we only have qualified men on our elder team. Um, we have many people at our church who disagree with that theologically, right. but they respect the position yeah. and don't feel like it's a position that puts us in sin. That's correct. Because a divide for issue when somebody says, if you don't have women as elders in your church, you are sinning. By yep. excluding them yep. and you know all of that, and that yep. becomes an issue where we just can't do right. church together. And see, for a leadership level, it's a divide for either do or you don't. For the congregational level, it's often a debate for. Mm-hmm. When you get into this, there are people. I know it's true in our church. I assume it's probably true over here. There are people that says because we do not have women on our elder board, you're making women second-class Christians, and that's just not okay. And we close that. We get growly about it. I mean, we growl at each other and growl loudly sometimes, but we, po- we work positively and laugh together in the same fellowship on many other issues. And just realize that's a spot we're going to disagree, and it can get, we can get tense about it. Uh, date of creation is something in our church that's a debate for. We've got some very strong young earth creationists and some very strong biologos type people. And we get into that, and they start growling at each other. I'd say quit growling and start listening to each other, uh, but it is a growly thing. And I'm not troubled by those as long as you emphasize the unity that we have. And then you submit to the leadership of the church. In our case, it's women as not elders. And we have people that think that is just the stupidest thing ever. I agree. I just can't get the Bible to agree with me. <laughs> I struggle with that too sometimes. Yeah, sarcastic, yeah. but true. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's the thing. The same issue can be a divide for at a leadership level and a debate for at, for many in the congregation and others in the congregation, it's a decide for it. Like, who cares? As long as women have voice and respect as individuals, I don't care whether they're in the elder board or not. For many at Grace, that's where it'd be. For many, you'd come not a decide for. Like, who cares? I got ahead of you a little bit. Explain the difference between debate for and decide for. Yeah, debate for is it gets growly. We hold this strongly. And when we get to talk about it, we, the emotions get going and we get amped and we start at each other a lot. Uh, the decide for is things where it just doesn't make any difference. So for a long time in our church, a debate for which was okay for people to raise their hands and wave it during worship because that was just that was too wild for the culture of our church going back 30 years or so today who cares you know some people are on their face weeping some people are you know maybe not pogoing but pretty excited 
but the place ran into it uh, is, was one of our worship team leaders cannot stand still and worship at the same time. She is an amazing, amazing woman of God, such a wonderful worship spirit, and for a long time she didn't want to be on the worship team because she could not stand still and worship. And we finally got past that, and she's a, she's a regular part of our team, and I love it when she's up there. I don't do it her way, but I love watching her do it because she does it worshipfully and wonderfully. But see, that was a, that was a debate for for a while, and she didn't want to be the center of debate. She did not want to be a hindrance to anybody. So that's where those kinds of things can come out. Thank you. That's really helpful. So we've been talking about Genesis 1, creation. Yep. Use this model for us. I mean, age of the earth, where does that fall for you? Age of the earth for me is, a, is depending on how you do it, is a, is a decide for. And of those four models I gave you this morning, uh, young earth creation is the only one that says the earth has to be less than 10,000 years old. The other three, uh, biologos, historic era, uh, evolutionary creationism, and intelligent design, both affirm an old earth, 4.6 billion years old. In my view, I don't know how old it is. Uh, and I, my skepticism about the developmental models of the universe are such that I just don't think we've got it right. So the, the, the dating of Earth and universe is based on a theory of development that frankly I think is in serious trouble. Uh, and I could go in more detail on that, but it's, I think we're in the same spot now scientifically that we were back in the oh, 1870 era with the ether theory that the whole universe was full of ether, and that's what the waves were, waves in the ether. And that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger trouble until we finally up with the, what we call photons and the wavicles and such. We needed genius to give us a new theory, and that happened in the early 1900s, and now everybody dumped ether. I think we're in a similar kind of thing right now with the inflationary Big Bang. I think it's in serious trouble as a model, but we don't have one to replace it yet. Remember, I'm totally pro-science. I'm very skeptical when we can't do scientific experiments and we start extrapolating, well, if this is true, then that's true, and so on. I become much less certain about it. So I don't have any trouble saying the Earth is 4.6 billion years old and the universe is 13.7, as long as you say, well, you know, that could be true. Sure. It is funny that basically every generation believes that Every past generation was super wrong on most of their scientific beliefs, but we have now figured it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And personal pet peeve is the number of stuff that's being done on the basis of geno genomics and genetic theory. How long has it been since we mapped the human genome? When did Francis Collins and his team map the human genome? Bingo. Just over 20 years ago. Do you think they might discover something more in the next 20 years? You know, it, be excited about it. Be, wow, look at this. My immunotherapy that I'm doing right now comes right out of genetics. Uh, there's a huge issue in immunotherapy that's keeping my stage 4 metastatic melanoma under check. May kill it, I hope so. Yeah, great stuff. But don't tie your star to the current theory, especially when we're learning stuff so quickly about it. So love it, but recognize we've got a lot to learn yet. 
Uh, we didn't have time to get to the question earlier, but some folks were asking about the flood. Uh, worldwide, Is it going to flood? Regional, not oh, right oh, here, but yeah. yeah. The but flood, you the mean, flood. yeah. Uh, I mean, for you uh, on this model, like, how important is it that Christians see eye to eye on something like that? Uh, I think that's a spot where, personally, I think there's a... Well, I'll tell you what I did. I, the flood is here in Genesis. It's a flood that, you know, flooded a whole bunch of people. Noah and his family were rescued and that sort of stuff. And I had been buying into the idea that the flood is like the old song. The rains came down and the floods came up. Our rains came down and the floods came up. You know, yeah, and you got to do it with hand motions and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then a friend of mine who's an ardent young earth creationist over in Bozeman said, Gary, what happened there? And I said, oh, I, I don't know. He said, have you read the Bible? I said, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and he had me go back and look at it. And the phrase that's used there is the fountains of the deep were opened. Okay, hmm. I started thinking about it. And he helped me. He said, Gary, what are fountains of, what comes out of fountains of water? I said, well, that's tough. Water. <laughs> he says, what's, what's the deep? Oh, and I started thinking, the deep is magma. Lava. The fountains of the deep is not water, it's magma. And the heavens are opened that's asteroids crashing down. And it scared me. I mean, I realize there's a lot more going on in this description than I'd ever given things. So I took that theory, put it up on the shelf, and I said, I'll worry about it later. <laughs> and I take it off occasionally. I'm still not sure to do with the flood. It does talk about people being killed, but, you know, where I'm in this very tentative, uh, I would see uh, it's Haaretz that's flooded, that's Eden. We don't believe in a whole planet flood. I don't think the Bible guarantees, I don't think the Bible requires that. Because Haaretz is not the planet. I showed you that this morning. It's not the planet, it's the land. So exactly what happened to the floods right now, I'm at the level, I'm just, it's, I don't know. Uh, so if it's a whole planet thing, think Krakatoa and 200-meter tsunamis. See so what a 60-meter tsunami did in Sendai, Japan. 200-meter tsunamis, I mean, it's way different than the rains came down and the floods came up. So I, I think that's a spot where some people, like some well, holding different theories of Genesis 1, say, I am right, anybody who disagrees with me is wrong, and probably their salvation is jeopardy, they don't believe the Bible, or, or it's, you know, calm down, let's talk to each other. And the flood's like that for me. What it does say is that God stops a violent generation and wiped it clean. Uh, but the lesson, the flood to me, uh, is in chapter 8. Come out of the ark, he said, bring you with you. So what did Noah do when he came out of the ark? The righteous man Noah built an altar to the Lord. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said, I will never again curse the ground, even though inclination of the human heart is still evil. This is the key thing here. This is the righteous intercessor 
pleading to God, and God relents. I think that's the heart of Noah. And that's a key, because that leads us to Jesus, who is the righteous intercessor for us, who suffered terribly. Now, the thing with Noah, you get this Noahic covenant, it's amazing. And then what happened? Planted a garden, a vineyard, good thing or bad thing. Got some booze, became drunk, uncovered himself, and something kinky happened in the tent, and it was really ugly. Even the righteous intercessor can fall prey to sin. Don't do it. You've become more musical since I remember it in our time. So. <laughs> When you think about uh, die for, divide for, debate for, decide for, what are some of the big errors you see Christians making? Two things. One is it takes stuff that should be debate for and make it a die for. And that's the fundamentalist spirit that takes second, third level things and makes them deciders. Uh, So in one group, it's if you don't speak in tongues, therefore you're not a very good Christian. That's not as true now as it was a while back, uh, but it's still around, and that's just really unfortunate. The version of the Bible that you use is still a decider for many people, a significant indicator of your spirituality, Uh, and I think that's really unfortunate. Uh, The biggest uh, thing for me right now is political party. And that has become such a divisive thing. It's become a die for. If you're a Democrat, you cannot possibly have followed Jesus because you believe in killing babies. If you're a Republican, you cannot possibly be a follower of Jesus Christ because you think immigrants are third class people and ought to be, you know, whatever it is. That is really seriously unfortunate because we agree on the principles, we disagree on the on the proposals and the policies to get them done. We all agree agreements are human beings and need to be treated with dignity and respect. What does it say about immigration law and the visa? That's a big point of difference. I think we all believe, I hope so, that babies are living human beings. I don't think, I hope nobody disagrees with that because the science is on our side. But does that mean that, the, that abortion is a terrible sin. I believe so. I'm totally in favor. I don't think you solve things by killing the baby. Uh, But I've got some friends that believe there are times when you really it's the mother versus the child and the mother needs to get precedence. And they take that further than I would. And I disagree with them. I'll argue with them. But I'm going to talk about their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm totally pro-life, big time. And I believe babies' lives need to be protected from conception on I deeply believe that. But I also know that people look at babies and we just treat for the three first I know a woman right now who's just about to finish her third trimester. She told very few people she was pregnant. How come? Because so many lose babies in that first three months and she won't have to deal with that stuff. So she didn't and we call it a miscarriage. If you go to in the second trimester and you, it's in that strange, you lose the baby, what do you do, leave it on the back porch and can't find it? Uh, in the second trimester, you grieve, 
and you feel it more deeply, in the third trimester, many times you name the baby and have a memorial of some sort. We believe there's a progression during pregnancy. I think it's a baby all the way along. I'm deeply committed to that. I was moved to tears, literally, by the story of an adoption as on Steve Hartman on the road, CBS News, last Friday night. It was about a woman who got pregnant, single mom, knew she couldn't take care of the baby, but she kept the baby and held that baby unstoppingly for 72 hours and then gave it over for adoption. The adoptive parents kept sending her pictures and memorials of the baby, and seven years later, the birth mom was reunited with that little boy. Her, I still can't talk about it, getting choked up. She named him Riley. The adoptive parents named him Steve. Now, Steve, Riley, is 26-year-old, married, and guess what? A little boy. What's the name of the little boy? Riley. And it's the birth mom holding her grandson because she had courage enough to take that baby and all that was involved with that. I want to promote that sort of thing, big time. Anyway, I'm preaching. So I think this though is where this model gets hard for folks because I think there's a, there's a sentiment of kind of better safe than sorry, which is if this is a really important issue and certainly abortion is one of those. Mm -hmm. If somebody disagrees with, and I'm pro-life right. with you on that and our church has long held that stance. There's just kind of this sense of like, if somebody disagrees, let's just better safe than sorry. Let's kick them out of here. I mean, we don't need them around. Um, and then we'll all just agree, you know? And that's where I think that sentiment of, yeah. let's make this a die for, let's, let's make this a, a hard line that doesn't get crossed. What's the problem with that? Uh, the problem is that stories are usually more complicated than simple yes, no, and abortion is one of those. I have a woman I know well who out of sinful stupidity, out of a horrible divorce, ended up pregnant through a, an affair, and she made the choice to abort the baby. She's a close friend. She's an ardent Christian, strong woman of God, but in a very, very bad season in her life, through multiple kinds of things, she ended up killing the baby. Now, I know her well. I wasn't, she didn't disclose that to me when it was happening. I was around, but I, I knew she was, had a boyfriend. I didn't know where it was going. And when I look at that, I say, okay, when I look at that, now she's quick to say that was sin. She's not debating that. But I look at those stories, and I think what I want to be known for is compassion and truth. And I want to help people who are sinners become move back to grace. If you just say, if you don't agree with me in this thing, you cannot be a part of my church, then I have no redemptive influence in those lives. The problem is if they're part of my church, then young women may think, or young men more likely, that's an inconvenient baby. I'm going to take my girlfriend to the uh, Planned Parenthood and get an abortion because I don't want a baby on my account. Uh, those kinds of things we can't do. But it, it's just, it's not a simple black and white issue. I mean, is it a human baby? Yes, that's black and white. But what you do with it, and I want to be a place where we can take hurting, broken people and move them to grace, and that gets messy. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one of the challenges is, I think 
we often just don't take Jesus' desire for unity of the church as seriously as we need to. Yeah. That when we're too quick to draw that hard line to keep people out of our church, we just don't believe that Jesus really thinks that the world is going to believe in him because of the unity of his followers. This is one of my life verses. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That doesn't mean that you give up and just go wimpy and we love everybody, but it's the unity of the Spirit. That's different than everybody's welcome, Uh, but there is a unity of the Spirit and I'll make every effort to maintain that. And what that means is we're going to dip in some pretty significant disagreements on some things. At what point do those become divide for and die for? That's, that's an issue. Frankly, the bigger problem right now is for many, there's no die fors at all. Yeah, so we just have a couple minutes left. But let's talk about the flip side. So, I mean, where do you see churches that are taking issues that really should be a die for issue and making them debatable? Yeah. Well, we've got a church down the street, my across the hall, my across the street neighbor is a part of it, and it is a anything goes. Uh, they are, their sign out is everyone welcome here, which said there's no, no requirement whatsoever in terms of belief. So you can be a sincere Buddhist, you can be a sincere pagan, you can be a sincere nothing, or you can be a sincere Christian. Everyone is welcome here. We're not standing for anything. That's not unity of the spirit. Surprise, surprise, surprise. We're having trouble getting people to come to that church. You know, why bother? Let's go to brunch instead. Especially Uh, in Portland. You've got some great brunch. Yeah. 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 But see, the thing of it is, there has to be a unity around the essentials of the faith. And that has to be there. And that will be drawing some lines. And what I find that's hardest for Gen Z, if you will, is to really look at somebody and say, you know, I'm afraid you're going to hell. Because that sounds mean and judgmental. And in one sense it is, but it's also true. And we need to believe that in order to bring the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, and that, that's hard to do, but it's a real thing. You know, my adoptive daughter was headed for hell until some people were adamant, okay, will you come to church with us? And when she finally was tricked into going to church, she was gloriously saved. But this woman had to be adamant, you need to come to church. And I'm profoundly grateful that she did. Amen. Our time is up. It is. Would you, uh, would you be willing to say a quick prayer for our church? I will be glad to pray for this church, yes. On the condition that you'll pray that the traffic on I-5 will loosen up. <laughs> You're in charge. Some prayers are a little more than I Yeah, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Triune God, Yahweh, King of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, I have to say I'm so glad that you're not a figment of our imagination. We didn't create you to give ourselves validity or something like that, but you created us to partner with you to be members of your family with all the benefits and beauties that are involved in being family of the Lord of the universe. Thank you that you're not a distant God who creates and watch, but you're a God who comes in, gets your hands dirty in creating humans and involved in the worst through Jesus Christ to show us how to live in a sinful, difficult environment. Thank you, second person of the Trinity, Malachi Yahweh, angel of the Lord, for coming to be a part of this world and living in, in 
in its worst, showing us how to live, teaching us the way of the Lord more accurately, dying for our sin to bring forgiveness, resurrected to bring life into this place of darkness and death, exalted the right hand of the Father far above every principality, power, spiritual authority of darkness. And you poured out the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we say, come. Holy Spirit, we say, we want to receive your unity. We want to receive your empowerment. We want to receive your conviction. Show us those places where we have compromised the truth. Search us. Know our hearts. Show us the wicked ways so that we can be walking in the way everlasting. Convict us, Lord, because your conviction is full of hope and renewal. To the enemy, the devil, and his condemnation, we speak rejection. We will not listen to your sweet, evil voice. We command you to be silent. We will hear the voice of that which honors the voice of Jesus Christ, the one who, God who came in the flesh. We want to be found faithful, to love you, to live out loyalty, to live out trust, to live out building community. It's characterized by good. I pray blessing on Alderwood Community Church, where this church has a hundred years of faithfulness here in different ways. And with Wyatt now as the new lead, I just pray for him and the team here as they lead, the diverse team, that in that very diversity of personality and culture, there would be a marvelous unity. It's around the Holy Spirit, around the redemption of Jesus, around the love of the Father. So I pray for the people who are here that you'll grant them grace and joy and courage and discernment, faithfulness that will be found faithful, and we can take the good news of Jesus Christ to a hurting, broken, lost, despairing world. Give us that hope. Make us faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. All right, Steve. We just heard from Gary, and I just want to reflect a little bit with you on this model, because I think it's new for a lot of people. I think it's important. And so just as a refresher, Gary's talking about how to handle disagreements in the church, specifically around theological issues. And he gives us the model uh, of kind of doing triage of how important a disagreement is, the most important being a die-for issue, which is something that you should be willing to die before you deny it. So... uh, the divinity of Christ, salvation by faith, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But then as he gets to the less important issues, he's got three ones below that. Divide for, issues that you're willing to divide from other believers over. Debate for, issues that you're not going to divide over, but you're willing to argue about and have a good back and forth in good spirit, at, in love, and then still be brothers and sisters at the same church even. And then the bottom one is decide for, which is he's basically saying those are issues where it's not even worth arguing about. Like, right. make up your mind if you want to, but don't even waste your breath trying to convince somebody of it because it's just not that important. Um, I, as, as you are hearing that, thinking through that model, one of the questions I think might be in people's mind is, okay, this is a neat model, cool. Gary's a smart guy. I like it. Is it biblical? Like, is do we have anything in the Bible that points us to this kind of triage of saying, you know, some issues are really worth dividing over. Some issues are worth dying for. Some are not worth dividing over, and you shouldn't divide over it. What comes to mind for you when you think about that? Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is a passage I found myself returning to so much during COVID. 
There was a lot of divisiveness. I don't know if you noticed that. I do uh, remember yeah. a couple arguments during COVID. Popped up yeah. here and there. Beginning of Romans chapter 14, where Paul simply says, don't argue about disputable matters. Yeah. And it's just so helpful to know that then as now, there are certain things that are worth going to the mat over. And there's other things, not only are they not worth going to the mat over, you're going to destroy someone else's faith if you make a decide for issue, a die for issue. And what's so important to me about Romans 14 is that when Paul goes on to give the examples of these disputable matters that you shouldn't argue about, they're actually pretty important, heavy things. Things like, should you be following kosher food laws as Jews? And, you know, today we're like, what you eat, you know, somebody eats only vegetables, somebody eats meat, whatever. Right. We're like, who cares, you know, because we just are used to being able to eat anything. But in the day, I mean, following kosher food laws is like, it's the litmus test of whether you're even a faithful follower of God. That was biblical. If you were a Jew, that's what you were steeped in growing up. That was your identity. And and that's the thing that Paul is saying, cut out the argument about this. Let let the person who believes strongly on one side of this be convinced in their own mind and be faithful to what they think it means to follow Jesus. Let the person who's convinced of the other side, let them be convinced in their own mind. Let them be faithful. Stop judging each other and just be brothers and sisters. And I think one of the questions that's just inherent to this whole model is, why is it so important? Not only is it biblical, why is it so important? And it, reading on with what Paul says in chapter 14 of Romans, he says, if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Don't destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stakes are high mm-hmm. when we get the categories wrong. We're not going to always get them right. But when we move two or three, you know, in one direction and get it off, we're going to really hurt somebody. Yeah. And let's talk about that. I mean, why this matters, you know, from one side of it, if you are taking issues that should be died for, these are issues that are central to your faith. If you deny these issues, you are denying the faith and you treat them like they're not that important, like they're debate for issues. You know, if somebody in your church is saying, yeah, I don't really think Jesus was God. I think he was an enlightened man who knew God closer than anybody. He's a good example, but he wasn't. Let's let's stop being silly. Let's not argue about this. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. And, but, and I'm fine that you don't believe that, but that's what I believe. And let's just accept that. What, what's the danger of that kind of mistake theologically? I mean, you're getting at the core issues of what we believe, why we believe we're saved through what Jesus did. If he's just any old man, then his salve- his death on the cross means nothing. This is core. It's central. It's essential. Yeah. And if you as a church allow those die-for issues to become debate-for issues, I mean, you're putting people's souls in jeopardy. Like, you're a generation away from the people that you're shepherding having— no basis of understanding what the Christian faith is, no desire to share that faith with anybody in their life. I mean, I mean, you're, that's that's how churches die, is you, you take the core things of the faith and you treat them like they don't matter that much. But I mean, what if we move down a notch? I mean, you and I could probably come up with a whole lot of die for it. Well, actually, not a whole lot. There's probably a handful of things we would say are die for issues. What? Jesus, fully God, fully man— Salvation by faith, or by grace, through faith alone. The Bible is God's perfect word to us. What about moving down a notch to things that are things we would divide over? What are some things that come to mind for you? Yeah. So the divide issue is, just to remind 
people. It's an issue that maybe isn't central to the faith. So if if you and I disagree over divide for issue, I'm not necessarily going to say that you're not a Christian, but I'm going to say I don't think that we can go to church together. I don't think that we're going to be a part of the same faith community. We're going to divide over this. And I think of divide for issues in a couple different ways. One's just issues that are so theologically important that I'm not comfortable compromising. So, you know, for me, some divide issues are marriage, that, that God created marriage, uh, that it's intentional, that it has a design, you know, one man, one woman for life. Um, I, that's an important enough theological issue that has so high stakes practically for families, for mm-hmm. thriving, for our community, all of that. Like, I'm just, that's a divide one for me. Um there's also divide issues that are just practical. They're not as theologically important. It's just we have to figure out how we're going to live as a community, and there's no compromising. And, you know, like the the uh, easiest one for me in that is baptism. You know, if I, I, I believe in believers' baptism, and for, for folks who aren't familiar with this debate, there's some churches who baptize infants. Uh, it's called pedo-baptism. And churches like ours uh, believe in believer's baptism, where you don't get baptized until as an adult you have made a faith commitment. And if I believe in believer's baptism, and I'm at a church that practices pedo-baptism, and my church community is essentially disciplining me because I'm not baptizing my kids. Right. I, I mean, it ends up being a divide for issue. I can't I can't violate my conscience and just do what they want me to do. I'm also not gonna be a divisive person that causes an issue in the church. Like right. I'm gonna go find a church where they believe in what I believe and we're gonna do life together, you know? Yeah, one I saw growing up, you know, was I mean, I have been a part of some charismatic churches over the years, but some charismatic churches take a view that unless you speak in tongues, you specifically must have that gift to show that you are saved. Right. I mean, that would be one. I just, I wouldn't say those people aren't believers. They put their faith in Jesus Christ just as I have, except they've added something that I'm not comfortable with. And you're going to divide over it. Yep. You know, you're not going to stay at the church and make a huge mess of things and anger everybody and, you know... Tell them how evil they are. You're just going to say, I'm going to go to a church that doesn't believe this. Yeah, and worth interjecting here. I mean, we could add a lot of scriptures, but I think of Paul's warnings in like Timothy against the contentious or the divisive person. Yeah. You know, that's a real danger. Yeah. So we were talking about why this is important. And I think for a lot of people, it's clear that it's important that you not compromise on die for issues. That, That comes more naturally to most Christians. What I think, though, we need to remember is why it's so important not to go the other way, not to make issues that should be debate-for issues into divide-for issues. I mean, where do you see that showing up in the church? Man, that, like alcohol, is Mm -hmm. one. When I was growing up, you know, it wasn't just a question of conscience. It was, for some people, if you drink alcohol, you're questionable at best, and probably not saved in some situations. And I realize that's a generational thing. Like that one's for most people been settled, but Mm -hmm. 30 or 40 years ago, alcohol was one that really jumped around that whole spectrum quite a bit. What about you? Well, the one that's freshest in my mind is just what we just went through in COVID. Like your church's masking policy is a debate for issue. It's I've repressed all those. It is not a divide for (laughs) issue, you know, like, uh, things like that. Um, Age of the Earth, uh, you know, 
end times theology, eschatology, you know, the ordering of how you think future events are going to happen, um, you know, things like that. It's not that they're not important. It's not that you shouldn't talk about them and go to the scriptures and sharpen each other's belief. Like it's so. I'm not saying stop talking about this or don't care about it, but you should not be dividing from brothers and sisters in Christ. And and people really struggle with that. I think. Um, it's easy to believe that if you think somebody is profoundly wrong about something, that if they don't change their mind, you have to make a big deal out of it. Yes. And I just want to point people to John 17 when we think about the importance of not dividing over issues that should not be divided over. And hmm. For folks who aren't familiar with it, John 17 is Jesus praying uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified. It's a beautiful prayer, and we, it would be worth somebody taking the time to read through the whole thing. But as Jesus is praying, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he actually prays for us. He prays for all the people who will believe in his name in the future. And when he prays for us, the first thing he prays for is our unity. And it is really worth noting why Jesus cares so much about our unity. He he says this, uh, he, he prays that we would all be one as you, Father, uh, are in me and I am in you. This is Jesus praying. And then he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus says the way the world is going to believe the gospel, is going to believe the message about Jesus is because of the unity of my followers. And so anytime you're going to put that in jeopardy, anytime you're going to say, I'm going to not seek unity, I'm going to seek division, you better have a really good reason. Because Jesus says the unity is actually what the, is going to make the world believe in me. And it's so huge. It's, it, the stakes are high. Yeah, it reminds me a lot. You know, I do a lot of marriage counseling and, you know, we talk a lot about unity in marriage. The two will become one flesh. And we mistakenly think that unity means unanimity. Hmm. I love how the New Testament, I mean, just as we looked at in Romans 14, you and I could have picked other passages. It creates a bond that's strong enough to weather disagreements, mm -hmm. to not have everyone thinking exactly the same way and to still love one another. I love in Romans 14, I didn't highlight this, but Paul says each of you should be fully convinced in your own mind. Mm -hmm. There's a command we don't take very seriously. Mm -hmm. We want everybody else to be convinced of my own mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'd say even... In my mind, this informs how we handle divide for issues that we believe are divide for issues. And it, for me, it's a reminder, even in that, how important it is to handle them charitably. Mm. Even if you really believe, like, you know, uh, for me, if, I, if I'm if I'm talking with another pastor, another church, and they're fully affirming on LGBTQ uh, on that conversation, they're marrying people of the same sex, they're affirming uh, gender transition, all of that. I profoundly disagree. Mm -hmm. I think it's dangerous. I, like, I will not allow that kind of theology in our church, but I still am going to be kind to those people, and I'm still going to be gracious, and I'm still going to be willing to say, man, like, you, you may very well know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm not going to 
pronounce a judgment over their because that's not a die for issue it's not a die for issue it is a divide for issue it's it's very important yep uh but i'm going to i'm going to respect them i'm going to treat them as well as i possibly can and love them uh i'm not gonna you know make them out to be the 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 villain the enemy the you know that being said, I will strongly state my case and yep. I will argue it, you know. Fully to, convinced in your own mind. Yes, to my dying breath, well, you know. Let's, let's go the other direction. Let's go from divide for down to debate for. You know, I think it's just so winsome when the church can model for the world that, hey, we might both see this differently. For you, it's a divide for. For me, it's a debate for. We can still be brothers. We can still love each other. We can still treat each other charitably and kindly. The world needs to see that. And as Jesus says, it's going to have profound effects when they do. Yep. Yep. Uh, Steve, who wrote Hebrews? Uh, that's up for debate. <laughs> or do you want to divide over it? It's got to be Barnabas. Why? I'm going to the mat over this. Yeah. I, and that's, I mean, all joking aside, I think understanding this model and using it well, it actually opens up the doors to have some great conversations with folks, to be able to kind of lower the stakes a little bit and say, let's go to the scriptures, let's read, let's argue, let's have a good nature debate about some things and have full confidence at the end of it, we're going to shake hands, love each other, and still be brothers at the end of it. So, And at the risk, Wyatt, of sounding like I'm kissing up right now, you do a really great job on our staff and in our congregation, I think, of just helping us focus on what is most important, the things we're willing to die for and divide over, but not getting too wrapped up. Because there's a lot of things that just don't fit into those categories. Yeah. Appreciate that about you. Appreciate you saying it. Good conversation. I hope this has been helpful for people. And uh, I know that we're going to keep trying to model this as best we can. Gary gave us a big gift. Yeah. Wyatt, that was fantastic. When I grow up, I want to be Gary Brashears. Me too. The man is amazing. Hope you enjoyed that. Again, tell your friends about it. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, continue to follow us, and we will see you next time on Native Exiles.